I am Dr. Barbara Kiel, and some clients of mine prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. And to be honest, I quite like it. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health efficacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, and to make a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also believe mental health education is key, and that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest. In your own mental health. Let's face it, we all need to learn how our minds work, and have the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. And more importantly, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with and support each other. Strong, empathetic. Nurturing and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart. And close your eyes, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. Now take a deep breath in, and as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your worries go. Let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe. Feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. And know that you are safe, all is well, and so it is. So take another deep breath in, and exhale out loud with a sigh. <sighs> And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. Hello, hello! Welcome to To Be Honest. Last week, I started to explore the topic of addiction, and this week, I promised we're going to start with the addiction to love and relationships. So, without further ado, let's get started. Clients of mine who seek treatment related to their out-of-control romantic and/or sexual behaviors are sometimes unsure about how to exactly label their issues. They cannot somehow express them to me. They tend to ask, "Am I a love addict?" Or a relationship addict, or a sex addict, or all of the above. Now, generally speaking, their confusion comes from the fact that love, relationship, and sex addictions tend to manifest in similar and sometimes interrelated ways. So, making it difficult to distinguish one from another is common. 
That said, there are some subtle differences that can usually be identified. To be honest, I'm not big on labeling, and regardless of the label, addictions of all types are nearly always driven by a desire to escape from, meaning to numb or not to feel emotional discomfort, such as stress, anxiety, depression, loneliness is a big one, shame is another big one. Boredom, the list goes on. Most often, this sense of emotional discomfort is rooted not in the moment, but you guessed it, it's in childhood trauma. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of addicts, including love, relationship, and sex addicts, report extensive early life histories of neglect and various forms of abuse. And these are the unresolved issues that I often call childhood wounds that underlie and drive their addictive behaviors. So if you suspect that you have symptoms or the possibility of being a love, a relationship, or sex addict, in this episode, I am going to help clarify your situation. Let's start with love addiction. Love addiction is best described as loving another person with an intensity that is not in the best interest of yourself or the other person. Typically, love addicts are preoccupied to the point of obsession with another individual, and they push aside their own needs and wants to fulfill the needs and wants of the other person. Once you do that, that means you have crossed your own boundaries and you have abandoned yourself. This is unhealthy because it creates unhealthy dependence, where the needs and desires of the other person are invariably met by the love addict, while the love addict's needs and wants are mostly ignored, and it is a form of self-abandonment. One thing to bear in mind, love addicts tend to collect and measure their self-worth based on external things, such as how they look, what they wear, and most importantly, how much someone else seems to want or need them. So basically, uh, love addicts, they confuse being needed with being loved. Instead of getting their own needs met, they choose to compulsively focus on the other person, using that person's response as their primary, and sometimes only, of course, depending on the addict, as their primary source of validation. So we can say that a love addict's self-esteem is not self-esteem at all. It is other esteem generated by who the addict is with rather than their internal sense of self-worth. What about relationship addiction? Well, a relationship addiction is in many ways similar to love addiction. However, the primary difference is that love addicts tend to focus on a single long-term relationship, whereas relationship addicts typically bounce from one relationship to another. So as such, 
you will find the relationship addicts expend a tremendous amount of time and energy on romance. Why? Because they have to hook partners, looking for a new partner, escaping one relationship to pursue another, or juggling multiple relationships simultaneously, and at times struggling to avoid relationships altogether. So, unlike the love addict, relationship addicts are preoccupied to the point of obsession, not with a single partner. As love addicts are, but with falling in love, except that they are not actually looking for love. What they really want is the emotional and neurochemical quote unquote high that they feel when they meet someone new and start the chase. So when this happens, instead of moving forward into healthier but less intense long-term intimacy, they focus on and compulsively pursue the all-consuming escapist quote unquote rush of early romance. So I suppose you can say that、uh, relationship addicts are really addicted to the feeling of that rush. The adrenaline rush of early romance. So they are forever chasing that first feeling of early romance, quote unquote, falling in love. Hence the saying, "Oh, I have fallen out of love with my partner. So now I must go and look for somebody that、um, can give me that feeling of falling in love again." Now let's explore a little bit about sex addiction. Sex addiction is in many ways similar, again, to love and relationship addiction, like I mentioned earlier. However, the primary difference is that sex addicts are obsessively focused on sex rather than a person or relationships. So basically, highly objectified sexual fantasies and the pursuit of sexual activity just take over their life and control the addict's thinking. Eventually, creating a wide variety of consequences, such as damaged relationships because obviously、uh, they cheat a lot, trouble in school or at work, depression. Social and emotional isolation, loss of self-esteem, even sometimes they experience financial issues, physical ailments, and/or legal trouble. The list goes on. And unfortunately, in serious cases, it is really, really destructive for both the addict and the people that they are supposed to love. Another primary、uh, difference between、uh, sex addicts and both love and relationship addicts is that sex addicts typically they use the lure of romance to attract sexual partners, while love and relationship addicts they do the opposite. They use the lure of sex to attract and/or keep a romantic partner. Now let us explore the connection between addiction and childhood trauma. The compulsive search for love, relationships, and/or sex is nearly always rooted in childhood trauma. 
So basically, individuals with less than nurturing childhoods tend to have lower than normal self-esteem, which causes them to look outside of themselves for validation. That makes sense, right? So their sense of worthiness may come from being needed, as in love addiction, or through constant romantic and/or sexual validation provided by other people, as in relationship and sex addiction. The most important thing to remember is that if you or someone you know is struggling with one of these intimacy disorders, is that healing is possible with treatment and recovery from the assistance of a professional. Most likely, they are with complex issues of intimacy disorders, love addiction, and relational、uh, trauma. So, a clinical psychologist or clinical counselor, they'll be able to provide a safe and nurturing container, meaning environment, so that. They are guided on their journey of recovery by examining the underlying causes of their mental health struggles and self-destructive behaviors. And of course, the goal is for them to gain the courage to face difficult issues, including grief and loss, heal from emotional trauma, and become accountable for their own feelings, behaviors, thoughts, and limiting. Beliefs. Yes, we are referring to their internal boundaries and their journey to recovery. Now, I am going to share with you some contributing factors that influence、uh, potential love addicts. Research has shown that、uh, people are not going to become a love addict unless、uh, they have low self-esteem and excessive hunger for love. And a tremendous fear of abandonment. Now, bear in mind these are the primary motivating factors. However, there are some other contributing factors as well. And while they play a lesser role in the addiction process, they definitely worth a mention here. So the first one is love songs and myths about romantic love. Let me read the lyrics of a song, and then I'll explain. Picture-perfect memories scattered all around the floor, reaching for the phone 'cause I can't fight it anymore. And I wonder if I ever cross your mind. For me, it happens all the time. It's a quarter after one. I'm all alone, and I need you now. Said I wouldn't call, but I'd lost all control. And I need you now, and I don't know how I can do without. I just need you now. Another shot of whiskey. Can't stop looking at the door, wishing you'd come sweeping in the way you did before. And I wonder if I ever cross your mind. For me, it happens all the time. Guess I'd rather hurt than feel nothing at all. Well,、uh, there you have it. Don't get me wrong. I like Lady Elmbalum, and I used to love this song, and I still like it. Unfortunately, the lyrics are just not healthy. You really shouldn't be drinking at a quarter after one. You should be in bed sleeping, even when you have a breakup. 
So to be honest, it is from listening uh, to this type of love songs over and over again that we are saturated with the message that life is not worth living without romantic love and that we are nobody until somebody loves us. Some love songs like this also tell us that love is an endless aching need and that it is all right to go crazy when we fall in love or having a breakup. To be honest, as long as I can remember, I have been hearing that love is magic, that the first time you meet someone, the sun should rise in their eyes, and that it is all right to dream your life away. Some love songs also reinforce the idea that it is all right to suffer for love. I have also heard songs that say, in essence, do what you want to me, but don't let me be lonely. There's also a multitude of songs about heartache and standing by your partner, even if your partner is a liar and a cheat. Other songs glorify needing to be needed in conjunction with suffering in the name of love. They repeat the same message. As long as I am needed, I will be true and hang in there no matter what. Maybe your favorite songs are about the people who will do anything to lure love into their lives and anything to hold on to them. Well, in case you have missed my point, these songs are about controlling and not loving. Of course, love songs don't always give the wrong messages. After all, I have heard some great lyrics about enough is enough or sometimes love just ain't enough. Still, while many love songs are just harmless melodies about how hard it is to break up, Others perpetuate serious misconceptions or myths about romantic love, and they reinforce the erroneous ideas that love happens overnight, or that falling in love is like drinking a magic potion, and you should allow yourself to be drawn into this experience despite the consequences. It is as if to say it is all right to be irresponsible when it comes to love. Or, romantic love is the most important experience in life. It is the only fulfilling experience worth having. And other forms of love, such as platonic, brotherly, spiritual, and others are worthless substitutes. Or, it is all right to do anything in the name of love. It is romantic to suffer or even die for the sake of love. Well, Shakespeare wrote it, isn't it? Romeo and Juliet. So, my audience, my suggestion would be to put romantic love into perspective, please. Don't let the poets tell you how to think about love. Love is not something you are powerless over. It is not all right to do anything in the name of love. And it is definitely not romantic to suffer. Okay, another contributing factor is role structuring. Now, this only applies to uh, women only. Unfortunately, in almost every society known to men, quote-unquote, women are ultimately taught that their primary identity is linked to their relationship with a man. And if you are not heterosexual, 
you might still believe that your primary identity is linked to your relationship with another. While men are taught that their primary identity is linked to their work, as a result, most women tend to feel deprived or devalued when there is no man or partner in their lives. Of course, potential love addicts are especially susceptible to this notion, and as usual, they take it one step further. Not only do they have misgivings about being single, this role horrifies them. To them, it is a fate worse than death. So here are some healthy suggestions. Consider creating your own personal values regarding the importance of being in an intimate relationship. Commit to your internal boundaries by being determined not to be influenced by the hidden messages of the media and literature and unhealthy lyrics of songs. Laugh at them, ignore them, or get angry and protest them, but don't buy into them. All right. The last contributing factor that influences potential love addicts is inadequate role models. Please bear in mind: not only are children who have had a dysfunctional childhood deprived of love and guidance, they are given poor examples to follow. Therefore, a love addict with an emotionally unhealthy parent or parents will often see addictive or neurotic behavior as normal. This makes it especially difficult to reorganize and change obsessive behaviors. But the good news is, it's not impossible. So here are some healthy suggestions. Again, set your internal boundary and make sure you uphold it. Don't follow the example set by your parents if you recognize that their behavior as being obsessive, addictive, or unhealthy in terms of today's standards. For instance, you don't have to be a martyr just because your mother was. Last and definitely not least. For those who now recognize their parents as poor or inadequate role models, consider beginning a process of cutting loose. Quote unquote. That means to find new role models and begin forming your own adult quote unquote values. Also, learn to replace inappropriate behaviors based on old ideas, meaning limiting beliefs, with healthy behavior based on your newly formed values. That is key. All right. In the next episode, I am going to cover and explore some of the common symptoms of addiction to love, and as usual, I will give you more healthy suggestions for change. So thank you for listening. Until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest and make healthy changes in your life. Bye for now. You can find this podcast. To be honest, 
on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O dot com. <laughs>